afternoon and greetings in Jesus' name. Enjoyed the encouragement, the fellowship together, and the the sermons, the messages that we have been given. It's been very, very good for me to be here. I missed parts of several messages, and so I, it always makes me a little trepidatious to get up after that. hope I'm not repeating too much that's been said already. So we think of the, the different roles that a minister fills, church leaders. There's four listed as examples from Scripture, and been assigned the one on being a servant. I have appreciated observing the example that different of you, brethren, have um, been in portraying that. And I often we see it at meetings like this. There's there's things to be done, and I could probably name different of you that have taken care of a lot of dirty jobs in connection with things like that. And that's just what I observe. But I appreciate that example. So you think of a servant, especially in our, in our home congregations. Another thing that I, I struggle with a little bit with an assignment is, did, were they meaning the word or the context of the reference that was given? Or, and I, it's a little hard for me sometimes to know where to, where to go. This particular reference here in 1 Corinthians 9 I think I'll read, I'll read verses 19, let's read down through verse 23. One writer would have brought out that beginning in verse 19 is kind of a, an answer to some questions that Paul asks in verse 1 of chapter 9. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? Then verse 19, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law, not being without the law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. This word servant in this verse, if you, I, I enjoy Greek, looking back at the Greek word and some of the meanings behind that, but if you look this one up, it is a word that is not used as often. Typically, the word servant comes from the Greek word that is also, has almost more the meaning of slave, and this one is very similar, but it has more the thought of to bring into bondage. So Paul says, I am brought into bondage to all men. And he goes on to explain that some more then. I would like to leave that just a little bit and like to think of the example of Jesus. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 Jesus giving instructions to the disciples on greatness. 
says, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Really, at the heart of being a servant is to give up my will. Jesus came down to earth, God's only begotten Son, came down to earth, lived among men, and served sinful, fallen humanity. And that's our example, as a minister, to minister to the needs of others, to be a servant to other men. There's a sense in which being called, being ordained to leadership is a position. And yet, in many ways, it, it's, a, it's a call to serve and to bear the burdens of many people. It's really what our calling is. Also, just like to read Philippians 2, verse 7, kind of along the same line. Speaking of Jesus again, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Do you think of Jesus as he, at the Last Supper, he knelt down and he washed their feet? And they were his friends. They were the people that were closest to him. And yet they were a very rough group of men. And think of Peter, who was within a few hours going to claim he never knew him. There was a lot of flesh present there at that scene. And and Jesus got down, he washed our feet. He became the servant. I'd also like to turn back to Matthew 14, read a few verses. This follows the, um, the death of John the Baptist. As you think of, put yourself in Jesus' shoes a little bit. John the Baptist was a relative, cousin, but in, in his ministry, he was probably the one person that understood a little bit of what Jesus was here for. And he was Jesus' forerunner, the messenger sent before Jesus. Probably, in a sense, one of his closest friends in a, in a spiritual sense. And so, it gives a story here how the, the disciples came and told Jesus. I'd like to begin reading in verse 12. And his disciples came and took up the body and buried it, and went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude, and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. If there's one word that describes the heart of a servant is probably compassion. But Jesus, having lost this, the death of John the Baptist, and says he went to a desert place, he said, let's just go. We need to get away. We need a time to relax, to rest, and sorrow. But the people followed him, and he looked at the people, and it says he had so much compassion that he was willing to go out and serve those people. And if we would have kept reading, it goes on even to the point of feeding all of them. Not just spiritual food, but physical as well. People often, as you think of serving people, and we have servants in our churches 
who, who just do a very good job of serving others. And there's a sense in which people are fleshly, or fleshly nature. We like to depend on other people to do the serving. We kind of like to have someone who will do the dirty work for us. And maybe sometimes as leaders we feel like that falls on us often. People really appreciate when we take care of that kind of thing. As long as they don't have to get involved. And I know that I think for myself, one of the hardest things when I was first ordained is just knowing all the junk about people. Just having to deal with, you know, this person over here has this attitude and this one over here is into this sin. and You kind of know it some before, but it's not you don't have to deal with it in the same way. I think that was one of the hardest struggles for me. I just don't want to know about it. You know, we're really called to serve, and that, inc- that includes serving sinful human people. There's times you, you kind of feel like just taking them by the neck and shaking them. I'd like to just turn back to 1 Corinthians 9. As you look at the context of that passage, Paul said, I, I became all things to all men. I made all things to all men. I am willing to do whatever it takes to serve these people, to bring them to Christ. And that's our calling. If anyone understood freedom in Christ and freedom from the law, the Apostle Paul would have, I believe, in this setting. He says, unto the Jews I became as a Jew. Paul would have kept the law if that's what it took to win the Jews. He was willing to. And really that brings us to the whole, what is at the heart of being a servant? It's the heart of surrender. It's the heart of laying down my will. And it's not only... we had week of meetings here recently and probably I've shared this with some of you already but one of the one of the things that stood out to me the most or one of the thoughts we talk about surrender and so we we pray Lord whatever it's yours but you know and that's what Gethsemane if you look at Jesus prayer there he said not my will but thine be done but the brother pointed out that we can, we can go to sleep in Gethsemane. We can say that without actually being crucified. I think if we're, going to, if we're going to be a servant, we have to be crucified. We have to go on to the cross and actually let self be killed. Just a little saying probably some of you have heard this before, but it's really impressed me. Ministry is giving when you feel like keeping. Praying for others when you need prayed for. Feeding others when your own own soul is hungry. Living truth before people when you cannot see the results. Hurting for others when your own hurts cannot be spoken. Keeping your word when it is not convenient, and being faithful when your own flesh wants to run away. I think something that for me is a challenge.
bring greetings to each one of you this afternoon in the name of Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, the one that we as leaders are to follow after, to pattern our lives after as we face our responsibilities in the church as leaders for the church. <clears throat> just like to quickly thank the local congregation here. It's good to be here again in this community and appreciate your care for us and all the good food and everything. <clears throat> May God bless you for that. <clears throat> My uh, part this afternoon is a minister as a shepherd. And I guess this is a, an illustration that for me has resonated very deeply over the years as I think of, of the shepherd of the flock and maybe my upbringing in the Willamette Valley, the watching the sheep herding there maybe doesn't prepare you real well for that when you think of the way the sheep are handled out in the, the weather there, but <clears throat> when you look at, at sheep herding as, as Jesus knew that and we'll, we'll go, we'll talk about that a little bit later here. The, the interesting, one inter interesting thing with this is, it, it's a very good illustration, I believe, as the shepherd of the sheep, how we are to lead our people, but we are also still a part of the flock. We are still responsible to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, and we still <clears throat> need to follow in his steps, and we still heed the direction of the shepherd in um, <clears throat> there's a verse that I'd like to just mention in going before we go to our our text um, Jeremiah chapter 13 verse 20 it's a verse that God's speaking to his under shepherds and it, it's a verse that that ought to sink deep into our hearts he, <clears throat> the Lord is asking he says where is the flock that was given me that given thee Thy beautiful flock. And I believe that's a verse that we ought to take seriously. And we need to think of each of us as leaders of the church that one day we are going to give an account to the chief shepherd for what have we done with the flock that was given to us for a responsibility for us to care for. <clears throat> another, maybe this is a different subject, but another verse that has struck me recently speaking about stewards and that's also one who has been given responsibility and it says in first corinthians moreover it is required of stewards that a man be found faithful <clears throat> and so this morning we have been given a responsibility to care for the flock of god for the church of god and what are we doing with that responsibility this morning <clears throat> First of all, we need to have a relationship with the chief shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 14, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and I'm known of mine. <clears throat> that we know the shepherd personally, and that he knows us, who we are. And if you read in that account further, you think of, he speaks of the hireling, the one who comes <clears throat> and does not care for the flock, and who just runs away when trouble comes and maybe we've all been tempted with that thought too before <clears throat> another thing that I think about uh, going along with the thought of the hireling is we need to have a commitment to the work that we are going to see this responsibility through <clears throat> and another another thought that I, I've had as, as I was when I was ordained, and you think of the shepherd and the sheep, and, and you think of this, the account where the shepherd left the 99 and he went out seeking that one lost sheep. And, and I had the mentality, and I, th I think I still do, that we need to be that way. When there's one lost sheep, one sheep that is going astray, that we are willing to go after that sheep and do what it takes to bring them back. <clears throat> But you know, I have found that sometimes when the sheep become too bothersome, we are kind of tempted to just let them go. 
Maybe you've never felt that way, but I have been tempted with that feeling before. They're just such a, make so much work for the shepherd. Just, if they want to wander off, let, it, let them go. <clears throat> Again, what are we doing with the flock that has been given responsibility, we've been given responsibility for? <clears throat> sheep herding, <clears throat> the herding of sheep in the, in the time of Christ, and many to- most times through history, even you would have seen it in America here in the West, was where a, a shepherd went out and lived with a little band of sheep, spent months with them out in the wild, and just the shepherd and maybe a dog or so and his, his little band of sheep, and they would, he would <clears throat> take them to the places of water, and he would lead them to the good areas of grass, know where the grass was best for them. Maybe if he were in the mountains, you would know at what time the grass was green, at a certain elevation, you would move them, getting the best grass at the best time for the sheep. But he was their protection also from, from danger, from thieves, from wild animals. <clears throat> and because the shepherd spent all his time with his sheep, he knew them intimately. He knows their personalities. And if you've been around animals and own animals, you, if you, once you get familiar with them, you know that your flock of sheep, they're not all the same. There's one is more aggressive and there's a timid one. <clears throat> the ones that tend to wander off to be at the edge of the flock, the shepherd knows that about his flock. And so, and the shepherd in, with his flock out on the hills, <clears throat> he knew which one to watch, which one was prone to wander, which one needed his, his closer attention to the one that would maybe his health wasn't as good. And he would know when one <clears throat> was missing from the flock. He had a, a, good under, a good feel for what his flock was doing, what they were facing at the time. <clears throat> the verses that were assigned to me for the text here, First Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, it says, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. <clears throat> First of all here, we are to feed the flock of God. And this word in the original has more of the, it has the idea of feeding, but also the idea of tending, of helping to take care of the sheep. And that is our, one of our responsibilities as leaders, that we feed and tend to the flock of God. <clears throat> now if you think of the, of the shepherds, the illustration that I gave of the shepherds out with their flock, it, it takes effort and it takes planning and forethought, more than just maybe what we could do today, we could throw a hay bale over the fence and they would survive till the next day or two. <clears throat> but it takes the shepherd know where to find the best grass for the sheep and where, when, where and when to take them to a certain area for the best feed at the best times. <clears throat> our attitude toward feeding the flock. And we have already heard in our meetings here about our attitude toward our, our work here. And it is given to us here, <clears throat> not, not that we are forced to, not by constraint would be the idea that we are, have to be pushed into doing it, but that we willingly take on the work that we are called to do, <clears throat> not for the money that is in it, and we are not, maybe that's why we don't have salaried preachers is because so we don't preach for what men would say and not, not feeding for prestige or the praise of men. Maybe if you happen to be an interesting speaker <clears throat> that you would um, share what you know men want to hear. But it says to be of a ready mind here. And again, the meaning is to do it willingly. <clears throat> And maybe, I guess the Lord knows our, 
our tendencies and our thoughts, or maybe my tendencies and thoughts, and know that we need to be reminded twice here that we be willing to move ahead <clears throat> with the work here. To think a little bit more on the feed. <clears throat> and if you've, if you've been around livestock and you have had livestock, there's a difference between feeding them so they survive and feeding them so they thrive. <clears throat> there can be a, a, a big difference in that. And a, a few years ago, my brother-in-law lived right next to me, Gerald. He had a couple pigs, and he was feeding them, and they just, they just, they ate a little bit, and they just, they didn't grow, they didn't eat much, they just kind of sat there. And finally, he got tired of that, and he switched to a different brand of feed. You know, the difference was amazing. They ate like they were starved for several days, and then they started growing, and they grew. And the difference was all in the feed that they, that they ate. <clears throat> and I also, when I, was, when I had the slaughter truck, I would often ask what people were feeding their pigs, and I could pretty much tell how they fed their pigs by the way the pigs looked. <clears throat> Another point with feeding is um, the digestibility of the food, and that's another important thing in feeding animals, and it's another important thing in our feeding the flock of God that people are able to understand our message and something that they can put to practical use in their lives. <clears throat> and so our feeding needs to have thought put into it, preparation, time, time in prayer, communing with the with the chief shepherd, meditation on the word of God, <clears throat> so that we are able to prepare a balanced diet for our flocks. <clears throat> Verse 3 we are, speaks about not being lords over our flocks. And I think this is where we need to remember that these are not our sheep, but we are only an under-shepherd for the heavenly Father, for the chief shepherd, and that we are also part of the flock <clears throat> as well. Mark chapter 10, verse 43 and 44, But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever shall be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. <clears throat> so instead of being a Lord, that we serve the flock that we be an example to the flock, as it mentions here. And both sheep and people are easier, it's easier to lead them than it is to get behind them and try to herd them in the direction you want them to go. <clears throat> Especially if they have the expectation of being fed. And um, spiritually, I mean, in the case of people, but, you know, if animals know there's feed ahead, they're more willing to... <clears throat> To go, and so we are called to be again the examples <clears throat> to the flock, and that we that we teach, that we teach balanced diets, and that we follow up our part of the balanced diet. I believe would be teaching that our lives would be examples of what we teach, so that others can follow as well. <clears throat> and also, li our lives should show that we care about the flock, and that we believe and live out what we have been saying <clears throat> and I believe that that care for our flock is a big part of our effectiveness as shepherds it's not enough to have the head knowledge and stand up here and share the word but that people know that we that we care about them and what is going on in their lives <clears throat> The example of, of our Heavenly Father, again, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. <clears throat> we have the example here of a good shepherd, and he is taking time to care for the needs of the flock, <clears throat> for the lambs that get tired of the long journey. For those that become sick, and you know, a good shepherd is there to tend 
to the sheep. He's carrying the tired ones. He is tending to the sick, to the weary. <clears throat> and this, this can be a demanding work. It takes our energy. It takes our time. It's not a nine-to-five job. <clears throat> and sometimes the hours come at, at the wrong nine-to-five in our minds, in the middle of the night. <clears throat> but as our what is required for the health of the flock. And then there are rewards for being the shepherd, rewards of putting in the long hours and the work that was demanded to take care of the flock. <clears throat> and that is seeing the sheep respond to the good feed, not because of what we have done, but because of the work of Christ flowing through our lives as <clears throat> we see them respond to care as we see them grow from sickness to health, from lambs to mature sheep, <clears throat> a blessing to watch that. <clears throat> and then finally, the reward for faithfulness of the shepherds, verse 4 of First Peter 5, and when this chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Greetings of love in Christ's name this afternoon. I'd like to thank each one for the part that you have done in these meetings and the blessing that it has been to our life. And to, I know there's a lot of behind the thing, scenes, that things behind the scenes that happen, but the Lord bless each one for what you have done. This afternoon, the verse the thought that I am supposed to speak about is of a nurse taken from 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 7 I would like to read verse 8 with that <clears throat> but we were gentle among you even as a nurse cherisheth her children so being affectionately desirous of you we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. The thought of a nurse. I don't know what you think about when you think of a nurse this, this afternoon, but compassion is very a forefront thought. One that cares to replenish health, to bring wholeness again, the thought of tenderness. And I guess I would like to say this afternoon that I believe, I know from my, from my part, that my wife is a great part in the side of showing tenderness that I show. Because I myself tend to be a person that is pretty much cut and dried. And you know, uh, son, yeah, just, you'll be all right, sure, just, just, just go on. But you know, mom comes along and puts a little salve and puts a band-aid on and pats and rubs the wound and life is good. And I, I guess, I, I believe that you and sisters are a vital part in us as ministers on this particular note. Uh, that of showing tenderness. I would like to read from Luke the 10th chapter. Begin reading at verse 30. <clears throat> and Jesus, Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, 
fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. By chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn. And took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed he took out two pence. Gave them to the hosts and said unto him take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again I will repay thee. Which now these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. And he said he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him go and do thou likewise. So here we have three men that had opportunity to do kindness to someone that was in a strait. So we have the priests and Levite. They were church men. They were men that had duties to do that were of the priestly, that were of church work, if you want to call it that way. But you know, as they came to that man and looked at him, you know, if they were going to touch that man, they were going to be unclean. And you know, they had to be at a certain place to do their ceremonial thing. And so, no, I, 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 I hope that you feel better. And they went and kept right on walking. We have the Samaritan man that came along and it appears as though he was on what I would call just normal everyday living. You know, Sunday was past and he was in his everyday clothes. And you know, let's face life, that's when our church people know if we're for real or not. And that's when our family knows if we're for real or not. You know, it happened at 9.30 on a Monday morning. It was the week after we had a week of revivals, and our evangelist that week had taught and preached several nights on faith. That persuasion, that belief that propels, comes from the bottom side. And in that, that persuasion of what God has done, and we living for Him, works follow. They come from within. And the day before you had got a phone call that said, we would like for you to preach at a minister's meeting. And so, okay, yeah, okay, try to do that. And so you are there. Tomorrow morning we have to leave. We have lots of things to do today. And so we got that thing streamlined in our mind. And so I am at work telling my two main men the job of what we're doing here today. And you know, I have it all mapped out. And that little phone in my pocket begins to shake. But I don't have time to answer. They'll just have to wait. And so I keep explaining. You know, we're, we take this. We've got to cut this carpet out. We're going to put the frame right down on the concrete floor. We're going to put blocks on top of the drywall. This is where the door, this is where the window goes. And I'm explaining all this. And while I'm going, you know, the electricians come tomorrow, the insulators come the next day, the drywallers come the next day, the lady is come back to work next Monday morning and we have to have the job complete. And the phone is vibrating in your pocket. But no, I, I, the third time that it vibrates. Hello, yeah. Dear, the washing machine's not working. What do I do? We've had company all weekend. You know, tomorrow we're supposed to leave. And next week we get company again. Do I just stay home? And you know, your mind is in fast forward. What do I do? Unbeknownst to you, in those three jingles in the pocket, she had called the youngest son. 
Mom, if you're dying, don't call Dad. (laughs) That is, I guess, I'm going to be honest. Examples. Compassion. Tender. I guess I've exposed my weaknesses. But Ephesians 4, verse 32, the first part of that it says, And be kind, tender-hearted. James 2, verse 15 and 16, the verses there that is in the context of faith and works. And if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding Give them not those things which are needful to the body. Or what doth it profit? The Samaritan in the account here, I believe, had learned to honor all men. The sign in the nursing trade, there are all men are treated equal. All patients are the same. All patients have needs. Whether it be a man that is there dying of an illness, or whether there is just some small ailment, there may be more care taken to this person, but everyone is tended to. No one is excluded. Do other lives matter to us today? It did to the Samaritan. When you have a singing on a Sunday night. And you know that one person. Gives out often that song. Does Jesus care? Do you know. Why that young person, that song speaks a particular message. Do I care enough that if I see someone at church shedding tears, that I know what is causing those tears to come? You know, in the revolutionary and the the wars of America, you know... The early American settlers of the Anabaptist faith cared for both sides of the wounded. Do we have that same vision today? That regardless if they have done wrong or right to us, that we care for their soul. Do I have... The wine to pour into the wound to cleanse it. And do I have access to the oil that will bring healing? To greet you in Jesus' name, the Son of the Father. I want to look at uh, the thought of the minister as a father. A couple of questions came to mind as as I thought of what really is a father? And what does a father do? And is there a difference between simply, or you start over, is there a difference between a father and one who just begets a child? And you've probably heard the saying, any man can be a father, but it takes someone special to be a dad. <clears throat> and that saying is attributed to a, a um, baseball player. But that saying puts a father as simply someone that fathers a child, someone that begets a child. 
And the word dad in that saying is replacing the biblical word of father that we want to look at today. And it takes, according to the Bible, it takes someone special to be a real true father. Our text is from uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. I'd like to read verses um, 10 to 12. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charge every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. It's quite a, quite a claim that Paul has there, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you. <clears throat> and most of us wouldn't be ready to say that like he did, but <clears throat> by the grace of God, we should be able to. And he says, you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, you would walk worthy of God. <clears throat> You're God, the Father. A father is someone who exhorts and comforts and charges or uh, testifies to those, his children, those that uh, he has spiritually begotten, as Paul would have said here. And Paul says that he did this for the, for the Thessalonians as a, um, as a minister. <clears throat> I've chosen to look at different verses that talk about fathers and just see what a father does and maybe compare that to how a uh, minister should be a little bit. And I trust if I am taking these verses out of context at all that I'm not doing injustice to the uh, scriptures. Meanwhile, Ephesians 6 verse 4 and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. A father does not irritate or offend, but rather he nurtures and admonishes. The minister needs to strive by the grace of God to not be irritating or offensive to others, but to rather nurture them to help that flock to grow in the Lord and to admonish or urge people to be faithful to God. 1 Timothy 5 verse 8, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. The father provides for his children, both physically and spiritually. And there's some harsh words here for a father that, that doesn't do that. He says he's worse than an infidel, and we know where, what, um, what God thinks of infidels. Now, the minister is not called necessarily to provide for the flock physically. However, the deacons especially should be cognizant of the physical needs in the flock and to make sure that those needs are somehow met. But the minister must provide spiritually. And we already heard that in, in um, some of the other talks um, this afternoon. And if they do not provide for this flock spiritually, they're also worse than an infidel, I believe. <clears throat> And so as a team, the ministry needs to make sure the flock is provided for, both physically and spiritually. Hebrews 12, verse 7. If ye endure chastening, 
God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? And so the father disciplines, the father chastens as he uh, <clears throat> sees the need in the, in the lives of his children. And we don't have time to go into details on this, but discipline can be, can be tough. It can be tough for a father. It can be tough for a, uh, for a minister, for, the, um, <clears throat> for a ministerial team. And there's times when discipline is needed. Not only needed, but it is imperative. And the ministry must lead out in that, in the church. Colossians 3.21, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. A father does not do anything that will <clears throat> bring discouragement. Um, Have we never done that to our children, those of us that are fathers? Have we not never done that to our people? I'm sure we probably have. And, uh, <clears throat> but we must admit wrong and be willing to make things right. And that will help a lot when, uh, when there are those that are discouraged. There was a saying recently we had in our home, and I didn't get it exactly word for word, but it, but it was thought something like this, that a man should not be afraid to admit that he is wrong, for when he does, he is but admitting that he is wiser today than he was yesterday. And so, don't do things that would uh, cause anger and discouragement, and I, I think there is very little that that causes anger like, like a man that is obviously wrong and won't admit it. Don't do things that discourage the lambs. <clears throat> Luke 11, 11 to 13, if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And Jesus is here talking about the Father giving the Spirit, but um, the Father gives good things to his children, beneficial things, not hurtful things. And a minister gives good things to the flock, comfort, exhortation, Warning, discipline, encouragement, and not bad things like anger, gossip, slander, threats. We give, we give good things as, as uh, being fathers to our, uh, to our people. And so we have this list of good things, comfort, exhortation, warning, discipline, encouragement. It may not always feel like good things to people, but they must be. They must come from a heart that is turned toward them, as we see, as we'll see in our, our next point. Malachi 4.6. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. This is probably one of the one of the most important things. Should have maybe been the first one. Our hearts need to be turned to our children by the by the power of God. And how many of us as fathers, <clears throat> when your son has done something that irritates you, and you feel like just giving him an earful, or God forbid, worse some kind of uh, physical abuse. That's, that's the first impulse when, when we're irritated. But we need to realize that in doing that, our heart is turned away from them. <clears throat> and their heart will be turned away from us. And we need to cry out to God to turn our hearts 
toward them again. So that we can think about what is for their ultimate good, rather than the things that may gratify my flesh, but do permanent damage to the child and to your relationship and, and, and to you personally as well. Our hearts must be turned toward our people as uh, being fathers to them. And there may be times, um, one of the brethren spoke of that, when you just want to get rid of some because they are so irritatingly carnal. Or is it me that is carnal when I want to get rid of some, some people, rid of an irritation? <clears throat> And so we must keep our hearts turned toward them and work towards their, their ultimate good and not, uh, not be turned away from them. Luke 15 has a story that we know as the story of the prodigal son. We're all familiar with it. <clears throat> You can turn to it if you like. I'm not going to um, turn there or read it. Um, <clears throat> and Brother Ed talked about the um, shepherd going after the lamb and bringing him back. But the father in this story, um, or maybe I should go on to say, I, I believe what Brother Ed said and I understand it and, and, and uh, I believe we need to go after that lamb and bring him back. But the father in this story did not do that. He let that son go. He gave him what he wanted, even though it was not his time to have it yet. He gave him what he wanted, and he let him go. And he let him go to to uh, his detriment <clears throat> and not... But when that son was out there and he came to the end of himself, he was there in that pig pen um, desiring to eat what the pigs were eating and he came to his senses and he was humble and he repented and the father allowed there to be a way for him to come back. In fact, he welcomed him with by, back with, uh, with a feast and with, with, uh, with a party insomuch that the elder brother was upset the father was there for him as well and left the feast and went out and entreated him. <clears throat> there are times when as fathers to our people, we need to let them go. And we need the wisdom of God. <clears throat> to show us when that is, when we need to keep following or when we need to let them go. And difficult as it may be to watch someone we love destroy themselves, sometimes it has to happen. And we give them over to God who can bring them back, bring them back to their senses and to the end of themselves where they turn back to him in humility and repentance. And then we must be there watching and waiting for them to receive them back with joy and make sure there is a way back for them. And that elder brother, he may need to be entreated as well. <clears throat> and that's, um, that is the father's job also. Let's quickly uh, turn to Romans chapter 8. Verses 14 and 15. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We are the sons of God. May we learn from our Father to deal with our spiritual children as he deals with us.